I talked about in that prayer being wide awake. How many of you are morning people? Let me see your hand. How many of you are not morning people? <laughs> and proud of it. How many of you have to have an alarm clock? How many of you say, I don't need an alarm clock, I'm getting up, just don't need it? How many of you hit the snooze alarm? Don't you love that button? How many of you hit it more than once? Wow. You know, I played a fight song two weeks ago and got all this energy going. Now I'm talking about snooze alarms. It's like revivals breaking out in this church. How many of you hit it at least like maybe twice, even three times? People. I was thinking about this, and so I, I, I kind of did some research, and I just started cracking up because they make an alarm clock on wheels. I want to show it to you. And what happens is when you hit the snooze alarm, it activates the wheels and it just rolls off your nightstand right down on the floor and it just goes until like it's under the bed. And then when it goes off again, you got to get out of the bed and go find the thing. I thought that is so cool, but I found one that even upstaged this one. It's the LCD flying alarm clock. When you hit the snooze alarm, the whole thing just begins to fly and it hovers in your room. So like if it goes off again, you got to get up and try. I want to tell you, I would backslide if I had one of those. There's no, there is no doubt about it. I want you to be wide awake today to this message. And the reason I say that is because it's not about actual Sleep, though some of the best sleep happens in church. <laughs> it is that things can happen in our lives and we kind of hit the snooze. We, we shut out what may be exactly what God wants to use to help us. The daunting task of being in front of you every week and seeing how many people we have here lets me know the many stories and circumstances that are represented. And I really ask the Lord to help me help you. Some of you are fighting anger. Some of you are very discouraged. Some of you are like on the adventure of your life and loving life. Some of you really don't understand scripture. You, you don't buy into it. You're interested, but you've not made a decision to believe. Some of you believe and it once had such a, a strong devotion to God, but it's not like it was. So here we are. And my prayer is that we'd be wide awake. No matter our story, no matter the circumstance that delivers us into this day, but that we would be on this day very alert to Scripture and the, the message of the gospel. In Matthew chapter 9, I invite you to verse 9. And that's where we'll begin. And here's what it says. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. And right there is an amazing transformation of a man's life. 
Because in that culture, Matthew was far from Jesus, far from God, far from a relationship with Jesus. Matter of fact, he was not even allowed within the religious group. If the religious people went to church, they would not let Matthew come to their church. And so Jesus reaches out to him because that's how Jesus is. And Matthew responds and becomes a follower of Jesus. And notice later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Wow. So this is quite a group of people gathered in Matthew's home. And when the religious people, the Pharisees, saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? So there's their attitude towards sinners. Jesus overheard the conversation. And when he heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. He says it's sick people that need a physician, and he's using sick people as an illustration to describe those who are in sin, thus using the illustration that he is like a doctor who has come for sick, sick people. He is a savior who has come for those who are sinners. And in this text where he says, like a doctor who comes for those who are sick, he presents himself as a physician. And if you've been around church in any traditional way, you've heard him called the great physician. And today, I want to talk about what it means when you hear that Jesus is a great physician. It's an amazing story. In Matthew 9, you have Jesus, who is God in the flesh. Jesus, who is God in the flesh, God who has never known sin, perfect and holy, yet making it very clear that he came to be with sinful people and to save sinful people like a doctor would minister to those who are sick. A holy God and sinful people. Do you remember in Isaiah 6 where Isaiah was distraught because his king by the name of Uzziah had died? It was in that year that King Uzziah died that Isaiah, the Bible says, saw the Lord. He saw the Lord high and lifted up and the Lord's train filled the temple. It was his glory. It was the glory of God. Isaiah saw this. Uzziah had been the king for 52 years. Now he's dead and the nation is in a crisis. That God reveals himself to Isaiah as the one who was still on the throne and in control. Because the bottom line is this. Kings will come and go. Presidents will come and go. But our God is sovereign king of all kings. According to Isaiah 46, he is the sovereign over nations. In Isaiah 6, it says these seraphim were hovering around God in worship. Seraphim, one definition is the burning ones. They, they were on fire with adoration to God. They burned in passionate worship to God. Their song selection was the word holy, holy, holy. Holy is the Lord God of hosts, for the whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah went on to talk about this God 
who had no comparison. He is holy, meaning he's perfect, without fault, without error, without equal. Isaiah said there's no one else like him. There's no one else beside him. When it comes to God, whom shall we compare? He is the sovereign of nations. He is this mighty God who calls out the stars by name and places them. You know, I am a fan of light. I think you can use light in worship just like you use a keyboard, a guitar, a set of drums, like you use someone's voice in giving worship. I mean, God himself created galaxy after galaxy with billions of blazing lights called stars, gave them names, placed them, and they're like the seraphim that just shine in praise to God. These seraphim, when you and I go to sleep, they continue to shout the praise of God because he's a holy God. It's the glory of God. And that is the God in flesh that you see in Matthew 9. When Jesus is sitting there with those sinners, he is this holy God, yet with sinful man. Sinful man. We understand sinful man. In Genesis 3, man just spurned the very authority of God and slandered the goodness of God, questioned the word of God, and as a result, the fall of man. And sin racked humanity. And from that point on, we get one biblical illustration after another to describe sin being lost. In Isaiah 6, when he saw the glory of God, he didn't say, wow. He said, woe is me, for I am lost, unclean. And I dwell among a people that are unclean. And like a doctor in Isaiah 6, God enacted a procedure that ministered and changed Isaiah and touched him right where he needed to be touched. In Genesis 3, we see the fall of man. And here's a description of what it means. It says in Genesis 3 that we were cast out. Colossians 1, it says we're alienated from God. In Ephesians 3, it says we're separated from Jesus. Paul in Romans, it says we're condemned and we are enemies of God. John said we're slaves to sin. Think about that. Slaves to sin, caught in the snare of Satan. We are children of wrath, according to Ephesians 3. John went on to write, it says we're lovers of darkness. Paul wrote that our minds have been darkened and our emotions disordered. We're darkened in our understanding. These are the many descriptions that help try and communicate the impact of the fall of man. And when Jesus, this holy God, is gathered with a lot of sinners, he sums it up by saying, we're spiritually sick. And it's the sick who need a doctor. And he's going to present himself as just the physician who can provide the prescription for those who are spiritually sick. Isaiah 
realizing the gravity of sin and realizing his depravity, he cries out for mercy. And God, like a physician, performs this procedure in Isaiah 6 to where he touches the life of Isaiah and he is changed. And God says, your guilt is removed and your sin has been atoned. What he's doing is giving us a picture that he then goes on in his book and expands. And you'll find it in Isaiah 53. You should read that because it will certainly minister to you. Isaiah is talking about how in that culture they would take a lamb. They would love it, then slaughter it. And use its blood to provide like an atonement, a covering for sin for a season. Actually a year. The high priest would offer it, and if it was offered according to code, then it supposedly provided this covering for sin for a year. Then another goat was brought in. The high priest would confess the sin of the nation over that goat, send it away. It was called the scapegoat, symbolically showing that sin was placed on another and then carried away, removed, and giving the idea that it was to be remembered no more. Now, in that activity, it is showing what Jesus, God in flesh, this great physician would do when he came. And so Isaiah went on to write, and I want you to hear these words. He will be wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace will be upon him, and with his stripes, we are healed. Can you say amen? Now in that, what we are seeing is that Jesus, he stood in our place. It's interesting. When you go to a doctor, the doctor will provide prescription. He will work on you. Jesus, the great physician, in order to bring healing to our spiritual sickness, had to go to work on himself. This is where it blows all of the paradigms of the mundane and it moves this gospel message to being the greatest news that humanity has ever heard or will ever hear. It moves into what what we see here as the first person plural. He bore our griefs, carried our sorrow was wounded for our transgressions and with his stripes we we are healed can you praise him for that today that's amazing what it is saying is that he not only endured the penalty the price the grief the sorrow of sin he literally stands in our place And the cross, like a surgeon's scalpel, cut into the body and the flesh of Jesus as he was providing prescription remedy and sacrifice so that you and I, sinful man, could be redeemed. The cross. Be awake to this message. Be alert to the power of God's love and God's grace 
for you. He was wounded. He was crushed. I have a pastor that I know that when he turned 40, he just made a decision. He was going to get in the best shape of his life. He was not in bad shape, but he wanted to be in the best shape of his life. And so he ordered the P90X program. Have any of you done P90X? If you have, go ahead and testify. You deserve, you deserve recognition. Chance, who was up here earlier, about five years ago, six years ago now, he, he asked me to do that. And he did P90X. I showed up. Mine was like P90-12. I mean, he's doing all of those push-ups, pull-ups. I'm like in a chair, you know, just like I'm cheating the whole way. And that guy, Tony, that like leads the whole thing, he would like give a tip of the day. He would like say, tip of the day, remember to breathe. Now, you know it's intense if somebody's got to tell you to remember to breathe. Here was one, you would take these weights and, you know, you were lifting, you're pressing them. And you would go into it like you couldn't do it anymore. And he goes, tip of the day, don't do it anymore. Because if you do, you will crush your face. <laughs> this guy, this pastor, ordered the P90X DVDs. He's, he's exercising, going to get in the best shape of his life. But he decides also... He would go get a physical, unlike he'd ever had. Go to one of these clinics that do an intense physical, not a normal physical, a lot more x-rays and scans. And so he did that, traveled a great distance to this exclusive clinic, went through a two-day process, and at the end of it, three doctors walk in, and he knew that wasn't good. And they said to him, you have a serious problem. We have found an aneurysm in your aortic artery. You have an aortic aneurysm. And one of the physicians said, if I could illustrate it for you, it's like you've been driving on the interstate blindfolded. It's a wonder that you are alive. And he said, you know, I've always tried to be healthy, and I'm right now trying to get in the best shape of my life. They said, look, no amount of exercise or, or any kind of diet would have affected this whatsoever. You were born this way. This is genetic. And I said, the way you're going to live is that we've got to get you to a certain physician. We know a physician, and they said, he is a great physician. We're going to get you in to see him, and he's going to do a surgical procedure. If it goes well, you should be fine. And that's exactly what they did. They got him to this great physician. The physician performed the procedure, and uh, he's happy and healed and whole. and just He's doing great today. But when they walked in and gave him that news that he had that aortic aneurysm, he was awakened to his need. And then he couldn't fix himself. No amount of effort, exercise, or diet was going to change this because he was born this way. Are you seeing the picture? So he was sent to a great physician. And the great physician did a surgical procedure on him. Now, I want you to, to stop right there and understand this is where it parts with the message of the gospel. You and I, like this pastor, were born in sin. Please know that we're not sinners 
because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. We're born in sin, conceived in iniquity. We aren't a bunch of good people just needing some touch-up and improvement. We are sinners who have from birth a life racked by the fall of man. And there's nothing we can do to fix ourselves. So we need to go to the great physician, Jesus Christ. But when you go to the great physician, Jesus Christ, he doesn't cut on you. He took the surgery. Be awake to that moment right there. He went under the knife. He took all of your sin and he bore it to the cross. His body was pierced and cut. His blood was shed. So that you and I, sinful man, could be completely healed of our spiritual sickness. We could be redeemed from the curse of sin. We could be delivered from the domination of darkness and a mind and an emotional state that was disordered. We could be delivered from that domination into a whole new life. We could go, now listen to this, in a transformational process by his sacrifice, his death and resurrection, to where the Bible would describe it like coming from darkness to light. That's how dramatic the change can be in you and me, not because of what we have done or what we could ever do, but because of what the great physician did for us. Now, let me take it another level. Once you come to Jesus, the one who knows you the most and knows you best, and like Isaiah, you cry out from your depravity, like Isaiah. He acts out of his mercy, and your guilt is removed, and your sin is atoned. And it is remembered, listen, no more. That, that is... Amazing. This guy bought a Rolls Royce. He spent a handsome sum for that car. The dealer handed him the keys and said, Sir, this car will never break down on you. It's a Rolls Royce. That man's driving. It wasn't too long after he bought it. And the car broke down. He got out his mobile phone, called the dealer, and he said, Hey, I... I'm broken down. They said, where are you? He was a few hundred miles from that dealership. They said, just stay right there. They rented a turbo helicopter, put their mechanic on the helicopter, flew the mechanic right to the location of the man where he's broken down, and the mechanic fixed his Rolls Royce on the spot. And the man went on down the road. He's thinking, what is that repair bill going to look like they sent the man in a helicopter a few days goes by he doesn't get any any invoice 
no bill comes. A week later, he calls the dealership and says, okay, so how much is this going to set me back? He said, what do you mean? They said, well, you know, my car broke down and you guys sent the man on the helicopter to fix it. How much is that going to cost? They said, sir, we pulled up your name right here. Yes, we see where you have a Rolls Royce, but we have no record where anything has ever gone wrong with your car. You don't owe us anything because we have no record that anything ever happened. They didn't want the reputation of a car that was not supposed to break down, breaking down. They, they said, we're, it, what they were saying is we're going to act like this never happened. Jesus was in the splendor of heaven, the perfection of heaven, where the seraphim, the angels, only had one job, and that was to be ablaze with adoration to God. And Jesus, who is God, saw us broken down in our sin. We could not fix ourselves. And he came from heaven to earth all the way to this fallen, messed up world. And in order to repair us, he had to be broken. He had to bear every sin of our past, our present, and our future. He had to bear every sorrow, every pain, every dark day. Had to be, think of the intellectual weight of sin that was placed upon Jesus Christ. He didn't come and go to work on you and me. He came and he was cut. He was bruised. He was beaten. He was slaughtered. And as a result, you and I can be saved. Now, once we're saved by confessing our sin, all we do is believe. That's it. As you see, there's no amount of exercise. There's no amount of righteous works you can do because you've been this way since birth. By His work and grace, and you just putting your faith in that, we are saved. And then, should you ever to the Lord say, you know, I just want to tell you again, I'm really sorry for the way I lived. He's like the people at the Rolls Royce dealership. They, the Lord will say, what are you talking about? Because I have no record. I have no record that you ever did anything wrong. Because he not only removes your sin, he chooses to remember it no more. It's like he's like, you know, I'm looking. I, no, I, I have no record that you ever did that. It's the power of grace. And there's no other religion in the world that offers that. That's why there's only one way to God and there's only one way to salvation. There's only Jesus that satisfies. Wow. The depth of this. Can I take it a step farther? He not only looks at you and doesn't recall what you did. When you get saved, metaphorically, it's like you are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. He not only 
chooses to forget the worst of you. He chooses to remember and to see you through the righteousness of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. And now we're starting to get an idea of just how great a salvation is really available to us. No matter who you are, what you've done, how many times you've done it. This man, Jesus Christ, came as a physician would come to those who are sick. But unlike the earthly physician, he really is a great physician. And he took upon himself the iniquity of us all. And in his perfect sacrifice, gave his life. It was acceptable. The debt was paid. The justice of God was satisfied. The wrath of God was satisfied. The past no longer has the ability to have its hold on you. Like Isaiah, your guilt will be removed. Your sin has been atoned. And you can live in forgiveness. And that is why the Bible uses all these ways to describe Christianity. It's like darkness to light. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Death to life. From sin to salvation. And so he'll use a leper who was as unclean as a person could be and heal the leper and show that like the leprosy of sin has a hold on us, we are clean. He uses a person who is blind and can't see and now they can see as if to describe being unsaved is walking in spiritual darkness. But when you get saved, you get vision. He used someone who can't walk and then he heals them and they're able to walk. Uh, He uses all of these ways. He uses a prostitute. He uses someone who's demon-possessed. So we go from those alienated, separated, cut off, castaways, cast out, those that are emotionally disordered, those that are lovers of darkness and haters of light. He then takes people and shows the transformation in every one of those descriptions so that we really understand he is a great physician and there's no sin he can't forgive there's no sickness he can't heal there's no sorrow he can't comfort he is a great physician Susie who's joined our praise team she was a girl she accepted Jesus Christ as her savior so the physician saved her she had a severe ear problem And if you've got a severe problem with your ears, it it would greatly impact your ability to sing. And the great physician not only forgave her sin, but when she was 13, she remembers it like she's sitting here today. She was miraculously healed of that major ear problem. And it released the power of this gift of song that God had invested in her. So she experienced a great position in salvation and his ability to bring physical healing. It wasn't too long after that, though, that her father, who was just 41, died of a heart attack. She had the need of experiencing the great position as one who did 
bear the sorrow. And she has experienced over the years and continues to this day, as all of us do, who have gone through the loss of someone that we love so much that we continue to walk in that provision of the great physician. That when he was on the cross, he was not only making provision for sin, but he was making provision for those days of grief. He bore our grief. He's the healer today. If you're in sin, if there's a need of physical healing, if there's a, a depth of sorrow, I want to tell you, you're in the presence of the great physician. As those three doctors walked into that pastor and said, we've got to introduce you to a great physician, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, three in one, it's like they're here today saying we want to introduce you to the great physician who's done all that needs to be done. Your sins can be forgiven, your sorrow, there's comfort in your sickness, there's healing. I want to tell you that I believe that he's my healer, the healer of my soul, the healer of my emotions, and the healer of my body. I believe he's that for you. I want you to consider what you've heard today as Susie sings this great song. you yeah. 